Two years ago, it appeared the relationship between Whit Merrifield and the Kansas City Royals was not going to be repaired. But now with him being a free agent, is there any chance at a reunion? I'll discuss it coming up on this edition of Locked on Royals. You are Locked on Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. For the second time today, I am your host, Jack Johnson, and you can give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. We're also live on TikTok and Instagram, so go give us a follow over there at Locked underscore on underscore Royals. And you can find us on wherever you download your podcast. That can be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Odyssey. We're also on YouTube, so go and subscribe on our channel, but you pretty much know the whole drill at this point. However you listen, I'm not going to stop you from from listening one way or the other. If you like watching video, uh, you can always catch us on YouTube, of course, but if you like to listen just through podcasts, any of those other outlets will do just fine. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel, a very proud sponsor here on the Locked On Podcast Network. There was a slew of college basketball games, a lot of thrilling ones, especially here locally. You've got NFL going on right now. The playoffs are right around the corner, and we're getting closer and closer to spring training and the start of regular season. So before we get into that, you might as well go and create your account on FanDuel and start placing some bets, get used to it, and start adding some money to your bank account, of course, if you are making the right bets. But today's show, again, is brought to you by FanDuel. Any comments or questions, you can shoot them over to me on Twitter and also try my best to get to them on YouTube. In fact, one of our segments today is going to be dedicated from a, what a, a commenter on YouTube uh, questioned about in the last couple podcasts. So I want to make sure I got that question answered because with these three episodes a week and, and kind of getting in more of a unique timeline, uh, not always being Monday, Wednesday, Friday or Monday through Friday like we had been throughout the regular season. Uh, mailbag Friday is not always happening every single week. So I want to make sure when people have questions, I'm going to go ahead and answer them. But you have to wait for segment number three on that. To kick off today's show or tonight's show, the second episode we've done today, I've been seeing this idea floated around about Whit Merrifield potentially having some reunion in Kansas City that Royals fans and maybe some people out there go, hey, the Royals love former players. No, Witt was an all-star last year. You know, he was an all-star in Kansas City, had led the league in hits one year, can still steal bases. He's a super utility guy, a top-of-the-order guy. Like, I think the player himself, I always liked Witt Merrifield. I, I thought that on a really good team like Toronto, a playoff team, his value goes that much higher. And I always respected the fact that Witt Merrifield on some really bad baseball teams never wanted to sit out. Yeah, he took a lot of pride in playing every day, playing the game hard. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, the situation we all know I was about to bring up in regards to the Toronto series where he decided not to be vaccinated. And I don't think it was being vaccinated or not vaccinated that uh, I think caused such an uproar. It was more of the fact that he would get vaccinated if he went to a contending team, right? That was the big big problem that everybody had. It's why 
And that one game that they returned to Kansas City after the Toronto series, when all of those players got reinstated, there were people that booed him. But I will say this, and why I'm going to shut down any chance at a reunion immediately is because, well, number one, Whit Merrifield doesn't really fit this team's need. Uh, if you listen to today's show, when we were discussing Michael Massey, I brought up well, what second base means to a team, what second base really is all about. I don't think you go into the offseason saying we have to upgrade second base. No, if you feel good enough at second, you're hoping the rest of the infield can take on all of that responsibility, all the offensive workload. And if you can just play good defense, you're going to be just fine over there. But I'll be quite honest. I think the bridge was burned back in 2022. I really do think that uh, the Royals felt really wronged by what happened. And I'm not going to get into the, you know, the vaccinated or unvaccinated. I don't feel like I need to be doing that for something that happened two years ago and something that going into 2024 uh, really isn't as big of a deal anymore. It's not going to keep players out of Toronto. And it was kind of ironic, right, that he went to Toronto. The Royals traded him to Toronto, uh, even though he wasn't vaccinated. And then he had to get vaccinated, right, to play for the Toronto Blue Jays. So that alone, I think, led to the bridge being burned. Uh, because the Royals didn't like the fact that one of their leaders, the guy they were selling his jersey of, you know, in, in the 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 clubhouse, the what do they call it at Kauffman Stadium, just the team store, but I think there was another name for it, the Royals Club or something like that. I mean, his, his face is everywhere, the bobblehead. He's outside the stadium, and when you have one of your leaders, you know, basically say, well, I would – get vaccinated if we were playing in the postseason, if it was a different, you know, different situation. But the reality is we're not. And I don't think the Royals liked the message it sent to the younger players of, hey, you know, if we were better, I'd do it, but we're not. So I'm not going to. And a lot of other players felt that way, right? Whit Merrifield was not the only guy uh, that decided not to get vaccinated, didn't travel in that Toronto series, which allowed a lot of the young players, including Michael Massey, who we talked about, to get their chance. It gave Nick Prado a chance to come back up. It gave Nate Eaton a chance. You know, Angel Serpa got a start out of that. And it was fun to watch, but I think it was very much of a, a touchy and harsh subject because Whit Merrifield was kind of the face of the Royals for a few years when it wasn't Salvador Perez, when Salvi was hurt. I mean, everybody respected Whit Merrifield. You know, I would say league-wide. It's like, this is a guy that plays everywhere. He plays the game hard. He wants to play every single night for the Royals. It matters to him. And that was a very weird end uh, to Whit Merrifield's time in Kansas City. I did not uh, support booing him uh, for that because I also really felt like it came to an end that way because Whit was probably frustrated that the front office never gave him any help. Uh, this was a guy that was there every single day at the top of the lineup, 162 games, and producing. And the front office just kept them up there with nobody behind him, really. There wasn't much talent behind him. And over time, that wore on him. You know, he was a guy the Royals kept in the minor leagues for a long time. And then he breaks into the bigs, he shines, and he still kind of has to work for it every single day. Then he gets into his early 30s. It's like, I only have a couple of years left where I really feel like I'm in my prime. I want to play some postseason baseball. And Maybe it was to force the issue. Maybe it wasn't. But again, I don't take it as what happened in Toronto uh, completely tarnished his entire time in Kansas City. I don't believe that. I personally do not. I think that uh, I can separate that one instance 
how that season ended, how his time in Kansas City ended, and completely you know, sever it from the player he was. Because the player he was was one I think a lot of fans rooted for uh, and should still uh, be happy for him when he was in Toronto, got an all-star appearance. I don't, I don't think there needs to be that much of bad blood, which brings back the question for this segment of a reunion. Does it make sense? And I'm just going to go off what J.J. Piccolo said, right? They're in the market for a guy who can play multiple positions but a left-hander. That may sound very specific, but J.J. Piccolo has been very specific about what he's wanted this offseason. I think they feel like their starting lineup, every position is set at this point. They're not going to make any more trades. Barring some shocking thing that'll blindside me, I think they feel like the group they have is the one they want to move forward with. But they're also still trying to find more depth pieces. Whit Merrifield wants to go where he's going to play every day, and he's going to get a contract that will allow him to play every single day. I just think that bridge was burned a little bit. Um, not that it's a, a really nasty situation, like if the Royals were to approach him, it's a no, I'm not answering any calls. I don't think it's that because money always talks, right? And it's a place that uh, he very much respected and they respected him for a long time. But when the Royals made that you know decision to trade him at that point in time and how everything transpired, I just don't think that, you know, it was, it's not really a move that makes a ton of sense to me. It just doesn't. I don't think that Whit Merrifield significantly makes that position better. I think he's better than Michael Massey, but I don't think it's worth the hassle of it, making more of a roster crunch with another super utility guy. Like they have that whole filled a little bit with Garrett Hampson, right? That's why they brought in Garrett Hampson. I think he's going to get a contract to play somewhere, play every day or at least every other day. Uh, the way he was using Toronto was more of a he's there for, I would say, two of the three games in a series, sometimes all three. Like he's not sitting out, you know, five, six, seven games in a row, but he wasn't an everyday starter. He would be penciled in where he could play and he could pretty much play anywhere. But I, I think the Royals are all right with the fact that even though he's available, he's not really in their sights. And I don't think that ever really was entertained. Uh, maybe somebody threw out his name in those meetings, but I would just say that it doesn't make much sense, especially when you have another super utility guy, Nick Lofton, who maybe long-term you want him to take second base, or if Michael Massey can, can continue, he can take second base as well. Like I just, I don't see a world in which that makes a lot of sense and a one-year deal. It just, it just doesn't do it for me, to be honest. So I, I'm going to pass on that. I just, yeah, Whit Merrifield and a reunion in Kansas city, very, very, very unlikely. All right, we're going to take our first break of the show. When we come back, I was asked about my thoughts on the downtown stadium, the, the statement that both the Chiefs and the Royals put out, and I really have one thought on it. I can ramble on a little bit, but I have one takeaway from it, and I'll tell you about it next on Lockdown Royals. You are tuning to Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. And you can also check us out on TikTok and Instagram at locked underscore on underscore Royals. Before we go any further, let's give a shout out to the title sponsor in tonight's episode. Two episodes we are bringing you today on the Lockdown Royals channel. But this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, finding bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way 
to find popular parlays and much, much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Well, yesterday, I think it was yesterday afternoon, if I'm getting my, my dates right here. Sometimes they all gel together when you're in the offseason. But both the Chiefs and the Royals put out a statement about the, the downtown stadium talks and staying in Jackson County. And there was talk of, well, the Chiefs could move as well out of the Truman Sports Complex. And we know how much of a mess it's been. It has been just rip your hair out type of annoying uh, because there's a lot of things that go into this. Well, I know it's not easy. I'm not going to be naive and say that, well, just, just walk into the meeting, say what you want, and it's all going to be fine from there. We're going to move forward. But I did think the statement both the Chiefs and the Royals put out, more so on the Royals side, could have been said from the beginning. I, I think that there's been all this speculation, all this fear of losing a team to another city, not uh, really in serious consideration, but just what we saw with the athletics, what we've seen across all sports where, you know, some owners, uh, they'll get greedy and they want to move elsewhere. They want to move them out of an area where maybe attendance isn't that high. And we know that in the last couple of years, a Kauffman Stadium has not been as packed as I think many people would like to. But I just like the transparency. I, I like that part of, of negotiations like this. I'm not going to sit here and regurgitate an entire statement. I'm not going to sit here and bring up the, the government aspect of it or, or the, the taxpayer aspect of it. I know to some people that's very interesting, but I'm also I'm, I'm just not going to regurgitate that. I'm not going to give, you know, just throwing numbers at you and data at you because let's be honest. I think all of us are about as informed as the next person. Uh, the people that are constantly working on this, they've got all the numbers and stuff that may sound foreign to you. They sound foreign to me. I Believe me, there are a lot of things I still don't understand about this situation. But back to the point of transparency, I think when you are doing uh, such a move like this, a big-time move of you want to take a stadium that has been there forever. You renovated it one time before. Uh, it's one of the more picturesque ballparks in all of, all of Major League Baseball. Now you want to move downtown, or at least when John Sherman took over, that was kind of the message of, we eventually want downtown baseball in Kansas City because of what it brings to KC Mo. You have higher numbers in attendance, right? Uh, there's more to do downtown. I've lived on both the Kansas and the Missouri side of the state line. I live very close to where they're contemplating putting the stadium. Uh, the Power and Light District. I have the T-Mobile Center right across the street. You have the crossroads down there. You know, Westport's not far from there. I mean, there's a lot of history down there, but a lot to do. And I know for those that I'm talking to that are diehard Royals fans and you've been going to games your entire life like I have, it, you would know that when you go out to Kauffman Stadium, it's only baseball. Now, you are going out there to watch a baseball game. And to some people, that's just fine, right? To me, that's fine. I, I no problem venturing out there and saying, I am going here for the baseball game. I'm not going out there for what the giveaway is. I'm not going out there for, you know, some post-game concert. I'm not. It could be cool. It could be fun. I'll gladly take a bobblehead. I'll gladly take a free t-shirt. There are really cool things they do. Promotion nights, all of that. I get that. But I go for the game, okay? I go for the actual baseball game. If they're getting their butts whooped in the sixth, seventh inning, and it's 12 to 1, I'm just probably going to go back home and listen to the rest of the game on the radio. I'm not going to stick around for post-game fireworks and stuff like that. But to some people, 
to other fans out there, the game isn't everything. And I think that's what's been evaluated in this downtown stadium talk is we want Kaufman to be full all the time. I'll never forget in 2023 when I was watching that San Diego series. And the Padres have recently become pretty relevant with the stars they brought in. It began with Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, of course. Uh, then you have Fernando Tatis, you know, last year. You know, they have the Cy Young winner. They had a pretty expensive rotation. You know, Xander Bogarts comes in, Juan Soto. There were stars all over the field. So that does impact who shows up to your game. But it was like a Monday night, a Tuesday night, and that place was sold out, right? Sold out, and the Padres weren't playing well. For the Royals, you know, there were some times that on a Saturday game, it wasn't that packed. It kind of depended on the weather, and the team wasn't that good. In fact, not good at all. And downtown stadium, as we've discussed before in the podcast, is – it brings maybe the, the fan that wants stuff to do around there. Hey, I'll go to a, a Royals game tonight because uh, we can go out to dinner. We, we can go grab some drinks beforehand. That's kind of the vision they have. But the problem is, back to this you know statement they put out, is that's not really been said, right? It's just what we keep getting over and over again. It's really difficult. There's feuding on both sides. Oh, we're going to, you know, if you better give us this. You better give us this type of fund. You know, the, the new downtown stadium is going to cost a lot of money, but we also know that a renovation is going to cost a lot of money. And I do believe Kauffman Stadium needs another facelift. It needs a better renova- renovation that can be more modern to everyday baseball. It's not like, as old as it is, it's not like Wrigley Field. It's not like Fenway Park. It is a beautiful, picturesque ballpark. The fountains, the, the scoreboard, you know, players say how much they love coming to Kansas City because of the history and also how great the stadium is. I have nostalgia for the stadium. And if down the road, the Royals decided that they didn't want to move, I would not be shedding any tears. But I also want to be open-minded in the sense that it could, when the team starts winning, be great for this franchise for a downtown stadium. It's very split. I've had people in the comments saying, hate a downtown stadium, never want to leave Kauffman, never want to leave the Truman Sports Complex. I've also heard other people say, I want a downtown stadium now, next year, the year after that. Whatever you do, just get it. But it's such a complicated process. And the reason that it's such a divide and it's been such a struggle is because we haven't gotten that transparency. So when I see this long statement, number one, I really didn't want to read it. I'm like, that is a a long statement. I don't want to have to go back and and read through words I may not understand, phrases I may not understand. But to me, it was just one of those things where it's why was this not put out day one? Your intentions, how much you're willing to spend. I mean, the, the unfortunate part of it is that the fan base, correct me if I'm wrong, let me know in the YouTube comments or on Twitter, but John Sherman was giving timelines about when we were going to have an answer, when this was going to be shown and everything, and it hasn't been consistent. I get it's difficult, but transparency helps these things. If you are transparent, if you are honest to the public, what you want, how you plan to do it, the steps you're going to make, well, then people are going to buy in a little bit. They're going to say, oh, that makes sense. That looks great. That's going to be great for the franchise. But also what we said in our podcast two days ago, or it might have been three days ago, like I said, gelling together. I can always forget. But I mentioned winning's a big part of it, right? Winning is a huge, huge, huge part of getting that support. If they are competitive, let's say in a perfect world, they win the division this year. That's going to get a lot of people on board for this because, hey, you're packing Kauffman Stadium. It's a team worthwhile. Maybe you spend more money next offseason. And even though you're not moving for years down the road, you're starting to get that support. When you lose 106, you ain't getting any support from the fan base. But we also need to factor in that not every fan is going to go and vote when it is put on the ballot. That's another thing that it's kind of hard to to explain and to convince people of. But I I have absolutely tried to stay 
kind of in the middle uh, of seeing both sides. I don't want to be so heavily on one side and then trash the the other opinions uh, that would be thrown my way. But to me, I, I absolutely see both sides of the argument. I see people that say, I don't want to leave Kaufman Stadium. It's a beautiful ballpark. I don't want to have to give my money to move downtown where maybe it's further from my home and then I've got to drive all the way down there, find parking for downtown baseball. And I also see people that go, it would make it so much better for the franchise downtown baseball. And I also understand people that go, I don't care where they play, just win some freaking baseball games. So those were all my entire takeaways I had from that statement. Uh, you can go back and read it it's right there on their Twitter account, both the Chiefs and the Royals. But we got a little bit more clarity. We figured out what they are trying to do. We also understand the stakes are out there. But my big question was, why was this not put out months ago? When everything was still just in a feud and so hard to describe and understand, put out statements like that. And hopefully we can get more of those moving forward. Before we take our final break, we want to give a shout out to Locked On Sports Today. It's here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. When we return, got this question on YouTube I believe it was one day ago, and I wanted to make sure I answered it before we close things up for the week. Should Salvador Perez be catching every day? Or because he played first base last year a little bit, could we see him over there even more? I'll dive into that next on Locked on Royals. You are tuned into Locked on Royals on the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. You can give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. And you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, and we are on YouTube. Goal is to get to 1,000 by opening day, so keep hitting that subscribe button. And if you already have, send it to somebody who hasn't because we have had a huge surge in numbers. Over the last month, we've added over 200 subscribers, so a big thank you to that. It's been such a blast doing it. And if you have been watching on YouTube and you love the new setup that we have here, we're certainly enjoying it with the uh, – Audio quality, the camera quality, um, just got to figure out this internet problem that we've been having every once in a while. So that was uh, very frustrating for me. If you do go back and watch one of my episodes from today, uh, you would see that, that there's one part in the in the episode where the camera changes a little bit. Uh, my hair looks a little bit different. Yeah, because the first half of that podcast episode was actually recorded yesterday. And then it stopped halfway through, so I had to piece together by re-recording today. So that's just the thing you get when you're dealing with technology problems. But for the most part, we haven't had any issues with the brand new equipment, the brand new quality, which at the end of the day is the most important to me because I want to give you, the listener, and you, the follower, the best possible episode and the best possible content. And another big thing we love to do on Locked on Royals is incorporate the listener, incorporate the fan. And that is important to me. Because as I've said multiple times before, it doesn't really matter for a podcast if you're just constantly talking into a mic and you're talking about your ideas, right? The questions you had, you were answering your question. I like to look at this as a dialogue a little bit, that even though it's not live, and we'll probably do more, and I'm going to say probably, we will be doing live streams in the regular season at certain points. We might do some post-game reactions where we go live depending on how big that game is. Uh, we're, it's a work in progress, but we're going to definitely make it more of a, a live approach to that. You know, listeners that hop into the, the chat, they can ask questions and I can immediately answer that instead of taking a couple of days to do so. But I like to have the dialogue aspect of it because I think every fan has different takes and different questions. 
And even if I've already answered it before, my opinion could change on it. I could have a different thought next week about something, right? We talked about you know, Whit Merrifield and the reunion in the first segment. There could come a time if there's more smoke and there's fire that Whit Merrifield wants to come back to Kansas City. There's mutual interest. My opinion can change. And that's kind of what I do with these questions. I may have answered it before, but I have no problem answering it again. And one uh, commenter on YouTube asked the question about Salvador Perez, that since he had some time at first base last year, when the Royals' first base options were depleted, Benny Pasquantino was hurt, Nick Prado was hurt, you know, Matt Beatty was out there at the end of the year, you know, you had Nick Lofton over there, and Salvador Perez, who we'd seen before get some work at first base, you know, he was over there and actually looked pretty good. And I think that's a lot of credit to Jose Aguasil, who came over from Washington to work with the infielders. Uh, he is largely credited with making Bobby Wood Jr. the defender that he was last year. Uh, Michael Garcia has transitioned to third base. Michael Massey as well. And Salvi uh, playing a pretty consistent first base. I'm not going to go as far say he was a good first baseman, but let's be honest. That is a big catcher just going over there to hopefully receive throws from the infield. We're not asking the moon of Salvador Perez, but he did hold it down there pretty well for a while. And so this commenter asked, you know, since we saw him over there, are the Royals better defensively? And I did have to think about this a little bit. Are they better defensively if they put Salvador Perez at first base, Freddie Fermin behind the plate, and then Vinny Pasquantino would DH? I do think it's an upgrade behind the plate. I, I think at this point, Royals fans have to identify that Freddie Fermin is a better framer. Uh, I think at his age, a few years younger than Salvador Perez, he's more spry behind the plate. Uh, I think that he could have a little bit better of an arm behind the plate. Salvi's got the quick pop time and everything. You know, he's always been able to throw from his knees, even when he was a you know, 22, 23-year-old rookie. He's he's one of the most known catchers in baseball. Everybody's known that. But with age, you regress a little bit. That's just baseball, right? That, that just happens in baseball. But Freddie Fermin last year was better behind the plate than Salvador Perez. But I will tell you this, and Vinny Pasquantino's no gold glover. He is far more known for his bat, and I think he's going to be the best pure hitter on this team next year. You also have to factor in, if you move Salvador Perez to first base and then you bump Vinny to DH, that means you have to force Nelson Velasquez to the outfield, which he doesn't have a spot in right now. Renfro's in right, Isbell's in center, Melendez is in left. And no, they're not going to put Velasquez over MJ Melendez. So it comes down to, you know, what you really believe in. You know, do you believe in it's got to have, you got to have elite defense behind the plate. Uh, like, you know, for example, how Austin Hedges continues to get jobs because of how good he is behind the plate. Uh, Austin Nola is another guy who just got picked up by the Brewers, I think it was today. Uh, there are elite defensive catchers out there. Will Smith was, was one as well. Salvador Perez is no longer an elite defensive catcher, but you need him in the lineup every single day. He is one of your biggest thunder type of bats you need in the middle of that order. I just also believe that Freddie Fermin is going to regress a little bit where you don't overexpose him. I don't think you want to make Freddie Fermin an everyday player. I also don't think you want to bump Nelson Velasquez out of the lineup. And I also would like to see Vinny Pasquantino playing first base every single day. I think there is room to grow there, whereas I think Salvador Perez can play there really only if Vinny needs a day off and Freddie Fermin is behind the plate and you want Salvi in the lineup. You know, I think that's a real-world scenario. But also, factor in, Hunter Renfro can play first base. He, he can at least a little bit. So on days where Salvi's in 
the the lineup, but Vinny Pasquantino's not, and Freddie remains uh, behind the plate. I think they'd much rather DH Salvi and put Hunter Renfro at first base. So I just I feel like though he can man the position, I don't think you try to you know move mountains to get Freddie Fermin in there because of his defense. I think that you also have to factor in that both Michael Walker and Seth Lugo said a big reason why they chose Kansas City was because of Salvador Perez. They wanted to throw to Salvador Perez, the accolades he has, uh, how he's going to be a Royals Hall of Famer, still TBD on a Hall of Famer in general, but he's a very well-respected player in baseball. And he's respected not for being a first baseman or a DH, it's because he's arguably one of the best power-hitting catchers of this generation, right? Johnny Bench type of power. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. But the defense is no longer there. But as a game-caller, as being the leader you need behind the plate, the Royals like that. So to answer the question in that long rambling, no, they are not going to move Salvador Perez to first base and put Vinny to DH because the defense, Vinny is a better defensive first base than Salvador Perez. Salvi's going to be there every once in a while, I think, just if they want to have a unique lineup. But if Salvi's not catching, he's either DHing or he's on the bench this year. I just think that's the way it's going to happen. And as for Freddie Fermin, he's going to be treated as a backup catcher. He may only play once a week. Sometimes on off days, or if you have an off day on a Monday or on a Thursday, a getaway day, he may not play all week long depending on the health of Salvador Perez. But I don't think they're going to move heaven and earth to make sure Freddie Fermin's defense is in there every single day. Well, that's going to do it for our second episode of the day on Locked on Royals and the Locked on Podcast Network. I've been your host, Jack Johnson. Give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. Before we say goodbye for the weekend, one last shout out to Locked on Sports Today. It's here for you 24-7 covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. You have a great rest of your weekend, Kansas City, and we will talk to you early next week. But until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.